following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So there's a dynamic in how the universe operates that we are very familiar with. This plays out in our lives all the time. This dynamic is that it is through hard work and toil. Sometimes it's through pain. It's hard work and toil and pain. And at the other end, there is reward. And we know this. So for example, some of you, maybe you're in school or you're working towards a degree or a licensure. And man, you are expending your mental energy because you believe at the other end of that, there's going to be great reward at the other end of that. Some of you are here and that's why you exercise um, throughout the week. You're like, okay, I'm going to punish my body because at the other end of that, I know when I work out consistently, when I eat right, man, I just, I feel better. I just, you know, it makes me feel more healthy. I feel like I have more energy. Others of us, we go and work out once and it is so painful. We're like, you know what? I don't mind feeling a little sluggish during out the week. It's okay that I get winded on my way to the refrigerator. I don't mind that so much. It's not worth it. And that dynamic it's just a part of how the universe is wired, okay? We know that no matter, that at the other end of toil, we know that that's a tension that we're going to have to push through toil for reward at the other end. But there is an area that commonly we think the opposite is true. Sometimes our perspective when it comes to the, our spiritual side of our, of our being, sometimes when it comes to our faith, Sometimes our expectation is that the more God I get into my life, the more faith I add into my life, then my expectation is God's going to add in less anxiety. There's going to be, my my circumstances are going to be less anxiety producing. There's going to be less conflict. There should be more comfort. There should be more stability. Like I should see things just starting, my life to start get easier as he's working circumstances for my comfort and ease and working them together. And our expectation is the more God I get, the more my circumstances become comfortable and stable and and less painful and less stress producing. And that's kind of our expectations. And this is an important thing for us to to square up and ask, okay, is this what we should expect as we draw close, the closer we draw to God, as we are following after Jesus, is this what we should expect out of that journey and out of that adventure? We've been talking through this series called Messy, and it's been a study about Daniel that we've been working through, and we've been talking about how we have been placed in environments that are messy. All of us. You're in a messy environment. In fact, the Bible says you're in exile. You are in in environments, whether it's your family, your friends, your neighborhood, where you work, where you go to school, you are in an environment that is messy, it's exile, it's not built 
with your holiness in mind. We, you live in, it's a pagan environment that you are operating in, and it's messy trying to figure out how to follow God and obey God in that, in that messy environment. But the reason he placed you there is because he wants to use you as a catalyst for part of his plan. You are the igniter. You are the spark that's going to start something there that you may see and detect. You may not. You have no idea. But he has placed you in that family, in that friend group, in that working environment, in that industry, in that classroom. He has placed you there with the intention to use you as a catalyst to make an impact, to influence, to further his kingdom. That's why you are placed there. And we're learning from a guy by the name of Daniel who's been placed in a very messy environment. He, is, he works in the palaces first of a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar, and now he's, he's in the palace of a Persian king um, by the name of Darius. Let's pick it up in chapter 6 of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> It says this, it pleased Darius, that's the Persian king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So let's hit the pause button on our story here. We're going to jump back in and let this story unfold. But let's just see what's happened. Persia has just taken over Babylon. Daniel was placed as one of the the highest officials, so he gets moved to be one of the highest officials of now the Persian Empire that's now absorbed the Babylonian Empire. Daniel, because of his continued excellent spirit, which we've seen throughout this entire story, we've seen his excellent spirit, Daniel once again, now Darius is seeing that excellence that he has, that he puts to everything to honor God, and now he's going to raise him to a higher position of influence. He wants to put him over the entire kingdom. But the other officials are not just going to sit by and allow this to happen. They're jealous envious of Daniel's excellence, of his influence, of his position. And so they're like, all right, let's all be watching. I mean, you see, like, they're together, they're plotting for his demise. And they're saying, okay, let's all look for opportunities to take this guy down. But what do we find? He's not only excellence, but he's, he's excellent, he's blameless. 
They can't find, he never does anything wrong. He's just so careful. He's, he works so hard to do things in a way that honors God. He's, he, as we've seen throughout this story, he says, God, you've placed me here. You have a plan, so I'm going to give you my excellence. And then God raises him up to influence, and then God, Daniel gives that back to God and says, okay, I am going to use this influence, whatever it is, for your glory. They're looking for a way to get Daniel, and they can't find one, so they have to come to this conclusion. If we're going to get Daniel, we're going to have to connect it to his relationship with his God. All right, let's see what happens. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance, now watch this, and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. What happens here? Let's pause briefly. Here's their plan. They come together. I mean, they're like a posse. Do you see this? They're like in agreement against Daniel. They come before him, and they basically, here's the law that the king signs. He says, if anyone is going to pray or petition to anyone except for the king for 30 days, they get thrown into the lion's den to be executed. Now, the king signs this, and I'm not, we're not really sure why he signs it. Maybe he's just an egomaniac and saying, oh, I was hoping someone would come up with this idea, people can only pray to me. Or, and this is kind of what I think, these guys aren't stupid, probably it went something like this. King, you know that, I mean, we're always trying to put down rebellions, coups. There's people that don't like you, king. I mean, we just absorbed a whole other kingdom. I mean, we need to unify around your leadership. I mean, it's in the best, the best interest of the kingdom that everyone has to only pray to you, king, just for 30 days just for 30 days so that we can weed out who the rebels are, who are, are plotting against you, because we will find that out. If they refuse to pray to you, obviously they don't have loyalty to you. So for the sake of the kingdom, just for 30 days, let's see what happens. And maybe the king saying, okay, all right, well, for the sake of the kingdom, and he signs it. Now, what do you think Daniel's going to do? Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, 
Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law, a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. I want you to see what happens here. They set a trap. They knew Daniel prays, and they knew he prays to God, and they say, Anyone who prays except the king to the king will be thrown into the lion's den. And what does Daniel do? He hears about it, and he goes before his open window, and he prays three times a day towards praying towards Jerusalem, obviously praying to God, but praying for the restoration of Jerusalem. But I want you to notice what it specifically says. It says, as he had done previously. He's not making a big deal. He's not going out in the middle of the city to make a big stink. He's not going to, he's just he says, okay, I'm, I'm going to do what I feel called to do. He's got his head down. He just continues to do what he feels called to do. He's not drawing attention to himself. He's not making it a big issue, but he goes and prays, and they wait for him, and they go and find him, and they drag him before the king. And according to the law, the rule cannot, even, cannot be changed that a king establishes, not even by a king, according to the law of the Medes and Persians. The king knows Daniel's innocent. He's heartbroken. He's trying to figure a way around it. But nightfall comes, and the king realizes he has no option. Let's keep going. 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, And with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? King has no other option. It's the law. He says no other option. He's tried to figure out how to have some kind of way out, but there's no other way out. He gets Daniel, and he has to take him to his execution. Daniel gets thrown into the den of lions. But I want you to see, have we yet in this entire chapter heard a word from Daniel? He's not said a word. He knew the suffering before him, and he walked like a lamb to the slaughter. Without a complaint. He goes to the, to the lion's den. The king, wrestling with the fact that he's innocent, sends him to his execution, and then a stone is rolled over the mouth of this cave or pit, and it's sealed. And the king waits until dawn to see if he's rescued and rushes down urgently to find out if he's rescued. Now let's just stop here for a second. Let's like review the story for a second. I don't know when the last time, I have a little book that 
um, we read a couple little like books that we read to Scarlett and Nehemiah. They're like the Bible for toddlers or the Bible for babies, and they've got like these beautiful illustrations of these stories. And Daniel and the Lion's Den, this story is almost always in there. Okay, and this is typically there's a pic. There's, like I found an image that's like typically how Daniel and the Lion's Den is depicted. Okay, let, let's look. This is kind of what it usually looks like. Something like this. Okay. <laughs> He's just chilling there with the lions, fuzzy, happy little lions. I like the one in the back just kind of nuzzling Daniel like, oh, what a nice little pet lion I have here, just chilling. Okay, can, this is the rated G version of the story, okay? Can we talk about like the unrated version here for a second? Can you imagine this? Thrown into a lion's den? Okay, have you, I don't know when the last time you were at Zoo Miami or Jungle Island. Have you seen those lions before they eat? First of all, they are gigantic. Okay, I, I was there once and one of them yawned. And I just like looked at the size of his jaws. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the next exhibit now. Okay, that's terrifying. You mean their jaws and their, their paws, they have these razor sharp uh, talons basically that are coming out of these claws, okay? And when they're about to eat, they're pacing around, okay? They're, they're huge claws just patting the ground, waiting. And in, in our case, in modern day zoos, okay, they take a slab of meat, toss it in there, and they eat it. It's already dead. These, these lions at like Zoo Miami, they're just kind of sluggish lying there, okay? You know that's not what the lion's den in ancient Persia is like, right? They feed it, these lions, they feed them live prey, and they probably underfeed them so they're ready for the live prey when they throw them in there. Okay, they probably have to replenish it with new lions because if one gets injured, they all pounce on the injured lion and rip it to shreds. Like, can we just get in the horror of this for a minute? You get dropped into a lion's den. Can, let's just start with this. Can you imagine the stench of what you find down there? The, the, the corpses, the remains of what was last fed to these lions, okay? And then they roll a stone over top and it's pitch black and you land and all you hear is just feet padding around you and breathing and growling. Okay, what do you do? I mean, I still don't know. What do you do? Do you try and go find a corner and hope you don't bump into something fuzzy? I mean, what do you do at this moment? And you're just waiting for whatever happens that it would happen quickly. Okay, let's just get into the story. This is... Far, it's, this is far closer to Jurassic Park than Veggie Tales, okay? This is terrifying. He gets thrown into a lion's den. That They do that. It's a deterrent form of execution. This is a form of torturous, horrifying, terrorizing type of execution. They throw Daniel into the lion's den. They shut the, the stone over top, and they seal it. Now, we have to just pause at this point, and we have to ask some questions. God, why do you do things like this? Why do these types of things happen? This kind of thing. I mean, Daniel, I mean, he is being, this is straight up persecution. He's blameless. He's excellent. He's honoring God. He's taking whatever influence he has and giving it back up to God, and God is using him. And these, peop, these other leaders who are jealous of him create a trap so that he's being thrown to his execution. So why does God do something like this? I mean, let, let's just pause for a second and, and, and set our expectations about these kinds of things. Is this just, well, there's a random couple characters in history, a couple Christians and, and godly people that stuff like this happens to. I want to show you a verse in the book of Timothy. Can, can you look at this verse here with me for a second? 
verse in the, in the book of Timothy, chapter 3, verses 12. Can I read this to you? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's pause for a second and take a time out right here with the story where Daniel just got thrown in the lion's den and let's just pause and say something like this and set our expectations with a verse like this. If we are following after Jesus, the promise, the guarantee is that we will face persecution. Now, let's just break this out for a second. What is persecution and what is persecution not? Persecution is not when we live blameworthy lives and suffer the consequences and then call it persecution. It's not when we live a substandard excellence and we're not pursuing excellence and we reap the consequences and then call it persecution. Like, this is not persecution. You go to work, you get into a fight with someone at work and now they're gossiping and slandering you and then you're frustrated so you gossip and slander about them and they're forming their little group that hates you and you're forming your little group that hates them and then they're continually rude to you so you're rude back and they're undermining you and you're undermining them and you're rude back and forth showing no, they're bitter, so you show bitterness, they're unforgiving, you show unforgiveness, and then you call that persecution. That's not persecution. Persecution is not when I'm saying, you know what, I, I'm, I can't take it here anymore, and so I, I'm just not going to try as hard anymore, my work ethic goes down, my excellence goes down, I'm not trying hard anymore, or I'm distracted, I, I make it harder for the people who work around me, my burdens become their burdens, I don't live up to what I say I'm going to do, I'm not committed to a life of excellence, and then I get passed over for a promotion or an opportunity, and then call it persecution. That's not persecution. Persecution is what Daniel just experienced. I give my life to being excellent. I say, you know what, God, you've placed me here. I am going to be the best student, the best employee, the best wife, the best husband, the best friend, the best son or daughter, the best cousin, niece, nephew, the best person that I can be because you've placed me here. I am going to be with excellence for your glory. It's when I say I am committed to being blameless for you, God. And so even though I am receiving all of this hate, whether it's envy or jealousy or whatever it is, and I am not going to respond in kind, I'm going to respond in grace. I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to show them forgiveness. I'm going to show them patience. I'm going to show them love. If they gossip, I am not going to return that with gossip. If they slander, I'm not returning it with slander. If they faction against me, I'm not going to create my own faction. I'm going to continue to serve humbly, graciously. I want to be blameless in your sight, Jesus. And when it's I'm continually pouring out grace and love and forgiveness and patience, and that's responded to with cruelty, with hatred, with anger, that's persecution. And as we are striving to live godly lives, the promise is that we will face that. If we are trying to follow after Jesus, the promise, as we are trying to be, the the ancient word we use around here, the original word for a follower of Christ, mathetes, as we are striving to be a mathetes, a follower of Christ, we are promised that we will face persecution. In fact, here's how it's put in the book of um, 1 Peter. It says this, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you 
to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Here's what Peter's saying, Christian, this is what was promised. This is what you've been prepared for. This is what Jesus told you. This is what the stories in the scripture all prepare you for. If the trajectory of following Jesus, the, the path of following Jesus, it will include facing this kind of suffering. It will include that. It's prepared. So don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be so angry because you're so surprised. Be prepared. Be expectant that as you try and give your influence back to God so that God can use you as a catalyst in that environment, be prepared so that you're not surprised if something strange was happening to you. Why is this the trajectory? This is what's coming for those who are following Jesus in all different kinds of ways. It's what Jesus said. He said, if you want to follow after me, he said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, if you're wanting to follow after me, he says, okay, that's fine. Here's the path I went on. I was in comfortable, stable, beautiful heaven. And the trajectory of my, my, the plan, God's plan for me was to come down to earth to be a suffering servant. That's the path that I'm on. If you would like to join me, get your cross and follow after me. Do you realize that even this passage is proclaiming this to us about the suffering of Christ? Like, let's just go back through the story. Can I remind you the story of Jesus and tell me if it sounds familiar to another story? Jesus lived blamelessly, and there was the other, the other religious leaders were jealous of him. And they came together to plot and to plan and they kept trying to trap him, but they couldn't find a way to trap him until one day they found, they put together a phony trial, they trapped him, they put together a phony trial, brought him before a king by the name of Pilate, and Pilate, struggling with the fact that he knew that he was innocent, found no other way and sent him to his execution. And did Jesus say a word? Like a, like a lamb to the slaughter, he didn't utter a word and he went to his execution, died on a cross, and then they placed him in a tomb and they rolled a giant giant stone over the mouth and sealed it. Do you see, even this prefigures Christ. It's pointing to Christ. The path of following after Christ, be ready because it's bringing, it will inevitably mean that we are following after Jesus. Now, I, I want to finish this story, but I'm hesitant to read how this story finishes. Because right now he's in the lion's den and we don't know what's happening to him if we're following through this story. We don't know yet what happens. And, and I'm hesitant to finish the story because in a lot of stories of God's people, that is just the end. In a lot of stories, when God's people stand up and say, I'm not going to eat the king's food, they just get executed. When they stand up and say, no, we will not bow down to this idol, and they get thrown into the fiery furnace, for many Christians throughout history, that is how God designed for them to go to their eternal reward in heaven. There are many Christians that go into lion's dens and do not return except into heaven. But for the sake of us seeing why God does these kinds of things, let's finish this story. This is Daniel chapter 6, verse 20. Look what it says. 
As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Now jump down to verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. This is another letter going out to every human being on planet earth from the Persian king. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Listen, he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Do you see what just happened? The king of Persia, which is now which is even larger than the kingdom of Babylon, leverages all of the influence of Persia throughout the globe sends out a letter that declares there is a living God whose kingdom will be for eternity, who rescues and saves. You realize he preached the gospel. Do you see what God did through Daniel's suffering? The gospel is preached in the same way early in the morning Jesus rose up from the pit And then sent his messengers to the far corners of the earth with the message of the gospel. It is prefigured when Daniel, the stone is rolled away. Daniel comes out and the king sends out messengers to the far corners of the earth sharing the gospel. Do you realize what God did through Daniel's suffering? You and I have no idea what he can do through our suffering. This is, Daniel 6 is where the the narrative, the story portion of Daniel ends. And if we kept going through Daniel, we'll see visions and prophecies about what's to come. And if you got to to Daniel chapter 9, God gives him this vision where he says, an anointed prince will come and he will atone for sin and righteousness will last for eternity. This is hundreds of years before that anointed prince, Jesus, would come. And Daniel writes that down in Daniel chapter 9. And you know what he says? He says, a man appeared to him um, to give him that message, a man by the name of Gabriel. Wait a minute, Gabriel, I've heard that name before, right? I know that, that Gabriel, that's right. A couple hundred years later, Gabriel would appear to someone else, um, to a couple other people, a Joseph and a Mary, and would say that, that they are going to have a son and he will save his people from their sins. That's right, there's another Gabriel. And what happened in that story? Wait a minute. In that story, there, there was shepherds that came and then some guys from the east, some wise men from the east they called them magi. Do you realize who magi are? What the ancients called magi are the ones we call magicians. 
that came from the east? Do you realize there's these magi from hundreds of years later from Persia? Do you realize who this group most likely is? It's the guys who have descended from Daniel in his role, the magicians and astrologers that were to come hundreds of years later. They knew they were supposed to be looking for a prince in Judah that would be significant and bring righteousness. And so these astrologers are looking to the sky. God sends them a star and they travel to see this prince. And 2,000 years later in Pembroke Pines, you and I put inflatable versions of those guys on our front lawns. Do you realize we, for, for all of history, the magicians to come in Persia and Babylon would be waiting for this prince and the stars would lead them there. You and I have no idea what God can do through our suffering. But he promises that it's going to come. He promises that as we follow Jesus, that trajectory is to be a suffering servant. So don't be surprised. You say, well, at least I'm not getting thrown into a lion's den. Well, maybe not that, but it does say there is a prowling lion searching for someone to devour. If you this morning, maybe for you this morning, it's to readjust your expectations of what this means to follow after Jesus. And to adjust your expectations that following after Jesus, it does not mean, okay, a life that my circumstances are providing more stability, more comfort, less anxiety, less conflict, less pain. Because he promises the opposite. He promises the opposite. But he says, I'll give you something better. I'll give you something better than peaceful circumstances because I want to use you in the midst of those turbulent circumstances. I will give you my peaceful presence in the midst of those circumstances. Maybe this morning it's just to simply adjust expectations of what this path of following Jesus is, but maybe this morning if you're finding yourself in a season of suffering, it's just simply to look to Jesus and to accept it with joy. To count it all joy when the trials come upon us, as it says in the New Testament. To count it joy because you know, God, you've got something that you're doing through this. I will in faith know and hold on to that you are going to use this. Whether I ever realize it or not, I'm going to trust that you are doing far more than I could ever imagine. And why do we stand firm on that? Because we serve a God who is no stranger to suffering. He doesn't sit back and say, okay, I guess you should suffer, I guess you should suffer, but I'm going to stay up here. No, he led the way sending Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that promised prince who came down to earth. He dies on the cross even though he was completely blameless. He dies on the cross and what is he doing? He's paying for all of our sins so that our sins can be washed away. And he rose again, comes up out of the pit. The stone is rolled away. He rose again so that we can live for eternity in his kingdom that will never end. And he simply says, are you trying to earn heaven on your own? Do you feel like your life is too far gone, you're too far away from God, that that you'll never find God's acceptance and forgiveness? He says, Put your faith not in what you do, but in what he did, what the suffering servant did. It's about Jesus suffering for us. His death is what 
brings us forgiveness and washes us clean, removes our guilt as far as the east is from the west. Put your faith in Jesus today. When he rose again from the dead, he said, the sentence is served. It's completely done. I've paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. All you have now is to just accept God's forgiveness. I want to give you an opportunity to accept that this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, just pray this simple prayer right there in your heart between you and God. Say, God, thank you for sending Jesus to rescue me. Thank you for being a God who rescues. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I give you my life and surrender, knowing I'll spend eternity with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.